So again, it's so good to be here. We gathered online, we gathered outside, and now we gather here in our worship center. And so uh, it's wonderful to be progressing through this. And thank you all for how you've responded to this. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. And I personally would like to welcome those online watching as well, too. We're live streaming now, which is a cool thing that has happened in the midst of this. And so uh, we thank God for the ability to do that. So I want you to picture two people, uh, and it could be in a church setting like this at Crossview Church, or it could be in a family, either an immediate family or an extended family, and picture that one person, they were in a conversation, and one person offended the other person in some way, shape, or form. Maybe something was said, maybe something was did, something happened, but a person offended another person. And the person who was offended kind of said, you know what? I know they didn't mean that. I know they didn't intend to do that. I'm going to let love cover a multitude of wrongs. I'm just going to let this go and just uh, move forward and forget about it. But then as time went by, hours went by, days go by, and that anger about being hurt or the, the hurt moved into an anger, and it was like they tried to say, I'm just going to let this go, but I couldn't. It just kept kind of bringing up, you know what I'm talking about when that can happen when you're hurt and it shifts from being hurt to anger. And they had this temptation to go find another person and talk bad about the person that hurt them and form this alliance and aren't I justified in what I did and doing all these unhealthy things, but they wanted to handle it in a healthy way. So they paused and they said, okay, obviously this is still bugging me. So I'm going to call the person and say, hey, could we talk this through? And so they call and they set up an appointment. They go to the person who offended them. They say, hey, I just want to say, I know you probably didn't mean this, but when that situation happened, I really felt hurt by that. Now, how is the person who did the offense going to respond? Are they going to respond with defensiveness and say, you got hurt from that. Let me tell you about hurt. I'm dealing with all sorts of hurt. No, 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 no. Are they going to respond with denial and say, oh, come on, that couldn't have hurt that bad. It wasn't that big of a deal. You know me. I wasn't trying to do that. Or are they going to handle it a third way where they listen and they empathize? And in humility, they say, you know what? I could see where that hurt you, and that was not my intention. I'm really, really sorry. Will you please forgive me? And then the person who's hurt said, yes, I forgive you. And there's this reconciliation that can take place. That is amazing when something like that can happen. And I'm going to suggest that the only way something like that happens is when there's an inner strength within both people that are pushing them towards living a way different than the pattern of this world, but living a way that Christ wants them to live. In fact, I'm going to suggest that the only way things like that happen, and I put it in the context of relational hurt, you could apply it to um, you know, dealing with lust or dealing with anger or dealing with all these things. You could apply it in so many places. But I believe the only way you can live that out the right healthy way is if you have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you and you are allowing him to rule and reign over your life. It's the only way it's going to happen. You see, God said when you become a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you invite him in, the Holy Spirit enters into your life at that point. There's a transfer of ownership. You no longer own your life. Though God, through the Holy Spirit, does. He sits on the throne, and 
our role then is to submit to him and let him rule over us. So when we, do we have enough strength to do those things I just mentioned? All of that comes down to this one question, who rules over us? Who rules over us? Does the Holy Spirit rule over us? Does God rule over us? Or do our emotions, our satisfaction, our justification and wanting to make sure we're right, our ambitions, our desires, who rules over us? We're about to launch a series going through what's called the Book of Colossians in the New Testament. And the name of the series is Our King. And the reason it's called Our King is because in this book, like no other, Jesus is put forth as the supreme leader of all, the supreme king of all. And what we're asking is, does the kingdom that this king has established have impact on our lives as his followers? Are we submitting? Are we bowing in humility to the ways of this king in our life? See, it's one thing to say he's king out there and oh, I believe he's king of kings and Lord of lords out there, but is he king in here? Because if he's king in here, it changes everything. It makes everything different. So who rules over us? We want Christ to rule in our hearts, as it's going to say in another spot in this book, in such a way that there's impact, that it connects, that we connect and we walk out what it looks like to be his people who are letting him rule. So I encourage you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to Colossians chapter 1. If you have a paper Bible, Colossians is towards the back. You'll see 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then you'll get to Colossians. If you hit Hebrews or James, you went too far, back up. Colossians, we're going to be looking at chapter 1. It's also in the Bible or uh, the uh, Church Center app, so you can look there as well. And we're going to try to look at how do we shift from Jesus being ruler out there to ruler in here. See, that's the difference between attending church and being a Christian. When he rules in here, you've moved another dimension from just attending church to really being a follower. So let's look at Colossians chapter one. I want to start, we're going to go a section at a time by reading the first five verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is saying he noticed something about the people in this church that he wrote this letter to. Something about them captured his attention. Something about them looked and he saw and he noticed it. And what he noticed is he noticed the substance that all Christian apostles say define Christianity. Throughout church history, the apostles kind of said there's these three markers that define what Christianity is, and he's saying, I see these three markers in you, and the markers are faith, love, and hope. 
You can see them right there if you look at it in verse 4. If you're a person who likes to underline in your Bible or if you have an app you want to highlight, here, there's three words here you should be highlighting and, and uh, making note of. In verse 4, Paul is saying of these people, he's writing this letter to, for we have heard of your faith, underline faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love, underline love, that you have for all the saints because of the hope. You can underline hope that is reserved for you in heaven. Faith, love, and hope is what he's pushing forward here. And he says, I notice these things. There's something that is noticed here. And he notices those things. He opens by giving his title as an apostle of Christ. And he is doing that to give authority because we're going to see as we uh, work through this letter that there is a, a problem that was going on in the Colossian church. It's called the Bible scholars and theologians call it the Colossian heresy. And I'm going to give you just a 30,000 foot view because we're going to dive into it later in different times. But basically what happened, there's a group of people that were coming to this church in Colossae called the Gnostics. Not agnostic, but Gnostics. G-N-O-S. T-I-C-S. And what these Gnostics believed was that anything matter, anything that, was, that you could touch or feel or hear or taste, anything that had matter to it was evil. So they believed like what, our bodies were evil and will ultimately be free when we're out of our body in heaven. And they believed that Jesus never had a body because a body was evil. So they believed Jesus was just a spirit. And there's all kinds of bad implications of that that we're going to get into as we go. But that's what they believe. But if you notice, Paul doesn't start the letter by diving into that problem. He doesn't say, hey, there's all these bad things going around. People, all these bad voices are influencing you. Make sure you don't, he doesn't go into protection mode. He doesn't go into, hey, let's address that mode. He doesn't do that. He's going to do that later. But here he celebrates who they are in the midst of a difficult time. He celebrates the fact that in this time where there's this pressure and there's this negative influence, these people are living out faith, love, and hope. What a great thing for us to keep in mind as we're facing this crazy time in our world. And I'm just so proud of the way so many of you in the midst of this time, you've hung on and you've walked out faith, love, and hope in so many different ways. And we've seen that and we're grateful for it. And people take notice, just like the Apostle Paul took notice. This church thrived. This church flourished. This church walked out what they needed to walk out in the midst of a very difficult time. Then something else amazing gets noticed. This faith, this hope, or this love, and this hope. These three things, I want to focus on each of them as we go here. The first one is faith. Faith got noticed. Faith is the, whoa, I went too far. Let me back up. Mm. I'm having clicker issues. There we go. Faith is a belief in Jesus that saves you, but it's also a daily absolute trust that says Jesus is Lord of my life. It's not just an intellectual belief that comes to your head. It's a belief of your heart where you surrender your whole life and you trust Jesus with your whole life. It's not a one-time thing that happens when you first come to Christ. You daily as a follower of Jesus are putting your trust, putting your faith in Christ and Christ alone. When there's things that come that scare you, when there's things that come that bring anxiety, you're going to him and saying, God, I, I trust you. Would you help me with this? Now, people will say, keep the faith, or they'll say, have faith. And I just want to say, faith in of itself doesn't do anything. Let me say that again. Faith just with faith doesn't do anything. Faith has to have an object. 
In the Christian faith, the object is Jesus Christ. Anytime in the Bible you see the word faith, it's referring to faith in Jesus Christ. The object is there. Even if it doesn't say that in the text, it's assumed that you're talking about faith in Christ. And faith in Christ is what changes things. And this church that Paul was writing to had that. They walked it out. They trust Jesus in that crazy time. They leaned into him with all they have, and it got noticed. It got noticed by the apostle Paul. It probably got noticed by those around them. Let's go to the next one, love. Love is the act of placing one's honor and needs above our own. It's the act of placing one's honor and needs above our own. Two weeks ago, we did a sermon on love where we talked about it and we defined it as honoring and outdoing one another in showing honor, as it said in the text, that we're to place people's needs above our own, that sacrificial uh, act, that's love. Many of us know believers and Christians who have lived good moral lives. They've done good things. They have tons of knowledge about the Bible, but they have no love. They're some of the most miserable people you've ever met. There's people like that out there. Mark Twain in one of his novels wrote about a man who was like that. He had this man who went to church all the time. He had a moral life. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He was a leader in the church, but everyone in the city didn't like him because he just wasn't nice to be around because he was an angry, angry man. And Mark Twain wrote this to this man. He said, he's a good man in the worst kind of way. He's a good man in the worst kind of way. Of way. You see, Jesus' harshest words when he was on earth doing his ministry were people like that. That put on this Christian image, but they had no love. It never really sunk deep enough to affect who they were as human beings. It just stayed cerebral and was information, not transformation. And Jesus went after those people and he said, They will know you are Christians by your love, not your Bible knowledge, not your, that's all good stuff. But the marker is love. In the next week to five months, there's going to be lots of decisions in our world, in our city, that are going to come rolling down, and they're going to give us opportunity to decide. Are we going to act in love? Or are we going to act in stirring up division and hate and allowing things to take us to those places that we know are not what Christ has for us? I believe that God wants to empower us as Crossview Church to be people that no matter what comes, the mask mandate being lifted, an election coming, that we could be people who are going to be people walking out faith, love, and hope, and it's going to be noticed by God and others. Because if we don't do that, because here's what's coming, we are going to have this mask mandate lifted, and there's going to be different opinions about that. We're going to have an election come. And in the election, more than likely, I don't know, but more than likely, whoever loses is going to drag this on, have lawsuits. It could be a long, we have no idea what's going to happen, but the current climate that we're in as a nation is like a tinderbox for this to kick off. In the midst of that, what's going to mark the people of God? Is it going to be diving into all the stuff we hear all the time on the news? Or is it going to be faith, love, and hope? You see, because here's the deal. We can get into the arguments and we can push our point and make our point known. But hear me on this. Listen, listen, listen. People are noticing what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. 
Some of you have friends and family members and are saying, you know, that person, they're into that Jesus stuff. I'm going to see how they handle this stuff. Does it really make a difference in their life? You see, people are taking notice. And wouldn't it be amazing that if we became known as the place, the one place people know of where they can come into Crossview Church and whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, you could come in here and worship through faith, be experiencing the love that everyone has because of the hope that we have, that this is not our home, this is just temporary, and our home rests in something so much bigger than the country we live in. Wouldn't that be amazing? that we'd be marked by that? May we walk out love in what's coming, not what the world wants us to do. And just a side note on this, many of us tune into the news, and we should. Christians need to be some of the most informed people out there. I truly believe that. But there's some of us, especially in this season, who we've either taken Fox News or CNN, whichever side you're on, right, and you may spend hours letting that just wave over you and wave over you and wave over you. That is not good for the Christian soul because it pulls you out of what God's calling you and now you're discipled by CNN or Fox News instead of being discipled by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the motives are different. So be informed, but watch your heart to make sure that you can walk out faith and love And the last thing that the apostle saw here was hope. Hope is the solid assurance that the promise of paradise when this life is over is going to be ours because of Jesus Christ. Hope is assured. It's not a thing like I'm hoping and wishing it comes true. It's an anchor that I know is going to happen because of what Jesus Christ did by going to the cross, taking on your sin and my sin. God is holy. He has to judge sin. And instead of judging us because of our sin, all of our sin was put upon Jesus on the cross and God judged his son and poured out the punishment on his son. Your sin and my sin applied to him. And then now Jesus gives us this amazing offer. If you ask him into your life, the perfection of Jesus is placed over you. So when God the Father, holy and just, looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son Jesus, not what you can try to put together with your good things that you do in this life. It's never enough. You get the perfection of Jesus when you accept him by faith into your life. You see, that's what hope does. And notice that faith and love, he puts hope last because faith and hope, faith and love spring forth from this hope in heaven. When we have the hope of heaven, we're transformed and we have faith And we have love. And it reminds us that as Christians, this isn't our home. We're just visiting this earth. And we should do all the earthly good we can to reflect people to Christ. But our hope isn't what happens on this earth. Our hope is secure in heaven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Let us not forget that in the midst of this time that's ahead of us. I want three quick things for you as you think about what is Christianity. What is it really all about? These three things. First, remember, faith looks back. Faith looks back to the cross, what Jesus Christ did for us, that he died and he rose again, taking away our sin. And our faith, the the object of our faith is Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Faith looks back. Love, love looks around. Love looks around at who we are and says, I'm going to extend love to as many people as I can that I'm journeying this life with. And finally, hope, hope looks ahead. 
Faith looks back, love looks around, hope looks ahead. That's what the Apostle Paul noticed when he saw this church, that they had these things. There's a man named Douglas Sward who wrote for ChristianParenting.com in a blog, and he said he was giving his four-year-old son a bath, and it was a Monday night, and Monday night football was coming, so he had this plan in his head, I'm going to get the bath done, I'm going to do reading the books, we're going to pray, throw him in bed, boom, done, I can sit and watch the Monday night football game. So he's moving, he's getting it done, and, and they're in the bathtub, and all of a sudden, it was around Christmas time, and his son said, Dad, we should throw a birthday party for Jesus. And he saw that his son's in tune to some spiritual things. He was a Christian. They were a Christian family. They attended church. They uh, walked out their faith in many different ways. And so as a dad, Douglas started tuning in and thought, wow, something's happening here with my son. And then his son said to him, "Uh, Dad, uh, what does it mean to have Jesus in your heart? And he said, everything stopped at that moment. He could care less about the football game because he dreamed of a time that he could explain to his son what Jesus Christ did for him on the cross and what that could do for the rest of his life. And so he said, son, well, Jesus went, we asked Jesus in our heart because Jesus went to the cross and and, and see, none of us are perfect and we fail and we make mistakes and we need forgiveness. And Jesus went to the cross so we could be forgiven by God. And he paid the punishment of our sin on the cross so that God can forgive us. And his son said, Dad, can I pray and ask Jesus into my life right now? And he said, yeah. He said, as he's trying to hold it together as he prayed and led his son to faith in Jesus Christ and helped his son ask Jesus into his heart, and he did that, he could care less what happened with the football game. Right? What happened on earth that night really didn't matter because what happened in heaven was so much more glorious, so much more great. He says, I do not remember who won the football game that night, but I'll never, ever forget leading my son to Jesus Christ. We live for eternity, not in the things that happen in this life. And how do we live that eternity? Through faith and love and hope in what Jesus Christ did for us. The Apostle Paul noticed that in this church. But there is something else that happened. Not only was something noticed, something was passed along. Look at verse 5 to 8. It says, you have already heard about this hope and the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has told us about your love in the spirit. The apostle Paul is saying this gospel, this story about what Jesus did is going all around the world and changing changing lives. Lives are being changed because of this. It's truly happening. And he's saying it's making a difference just as I see it in this church and in your life. I'm seeing it all over. And Paul wasn't exaggerating here. The apostle at the time he wrote this letter personally made sure that every town and village in the eastern half of the Roman Empire up to this time had somebody go there and present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. He wanted to make sure it happened. Because, you see, no one is born a Christian. People think sometimes I grew up in a Christian home, I've been a Christian all my life. No, you're not born a Christian. You're not one because you're in a Christian home. There has to be a time when you own it. There has to be a time when you come to a place where you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. 
That's how you become a Christian. And sometimes that happens in a moment where you realize it and you just give your life to Christ. Sometimes it's a matter of a season of life. But there has to be a place and a time where you own it and you give your life to Jesus Christ. And sometimes around the world, that can happen through a miraculous vision where, you know, we've seen this a lot of times in the Muslim world. They'll see a vision of Christ and they understand the gospel through that and they give their life to Jesus Christ. That can happen, but that's not normative. Normally the way it works is someone has to tell you about what Jesus Christ did. And that's what Epaphras did here in this church. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary. He was a person who worked and he believed in what Jesus Christ did and he started telling all these people about it. And all of a sudden their lives started to be changed and this church started. He had a ministry like people like you here at Crossview Church to go and share and tell people what Christ has done. That's what he did. And then lo and behold, the church shows up because Jesus entered the lives of these people in this town and their lives are transformed and they began to live out faith and they began to live out love and they began to live out hope by the mercy of God. So let me ask you a question. Do you think people notice faith, hope, and love in our lives? That's a convicting question, isn't it? Do you think people notice our faith, our love, and our hope? It's a test to see if it's real. You know, I thought about the Apostle Paul talking to this church and what would that look like for us at Crossview? And, and we're in a denomination called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And I thought, does the president of our denomination, Kevin Compline, he's never been here to a service. He's been to a conference we hosted here, but he doesn't really know any of us. Would he say, hey, church at Crossview in Wisconsin Rapids, I just want to say I've heard of your faith and your love and your hope. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because it means it's real. How real is it? Real enough that if somebody offends us, do we not spread it all over but go to them when we're hurt and say, can we talk this through? Is it real enough that when someone comes to us and says, you did something that offended me, that we don't get defensive, we don't deny it, but we say, no, I want to own that. I'm sorry. Let's figure this out together and move forward. Real enough to help us say no to sinful behaviors in our life? That's the real where the rubber meets the road. Christianity that Paul saw in this church. And by God's grace and power, it'll be shown here as well. I'm going to encourage you to do two things. I want to invite you first to grow deeper in this by going to the YouVersion app and getting this um, devotional to carry you through the rest of this week. Discover hope through faith. It'll take what I talked about here and go deeper with it each day of the week uh, for a little bit of time and it'll help you grow as a Christian. So I encourage you to do that. And the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is think about is your faith real to you? Who rules over you? Is it God through the power of his Holy Spirit or is it something else? Maybe you're like, that concept never came into my head before. I never even thought about that. Or maybe you're here and you're like, you know, this whole idea of giving your life to Jesus Christ, I've never done that. Or maybe you're saying, yeah, I did that. I gave my life to Christ. I consider myself a Christian, but I've drifted so far from the spot where I can say he really rules over my life and my decisions. And I'd like to get back to that place. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that now. We're just going to have a time before God. I encourage you to just bow your heads wherever you are. And just take a moment to talk to God. He's here. He can hear 
Maybe share with him whatever's on your heart as you get to this spot. And if you're here and you're in that spot where you're like, I don't know if I've ever given my life to Jesus, but I want to. Or you're here and you're like, I did do that, but I've drifted so far. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If that's you and that's real and that decision is something that you really want, I'm going to help you put words to that. And so if you need to, all I'm going to do is pray this in the quietness of your own heart. You could pray this back to Jesus and he will come into your life. All you have to do in the quietness of your heart is repeat after me. If this is really what you want to do, the prayer isn't what changes you, it's the decision and will of your heart and God coming into that place. But if so, just pray this after me. Jesus, please enter into my life. I need you. I ask that you take control of my life. Be my ruler and king. Please forgive me for all my sin. Help me to walk a new life with you in the center. In your name I pray, amen. There's no better way for us as a church to celebrate together what God did on the cross than to take communion together. And so we're going to move into a time of communion. Um, just a couple of instructions. You don't have to be a member of Crossview Church to take communion. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ and you consider yourself a Christian, then you could take communion with us, and we encourage you to do that. Also, uh, parents, we charge you to be the spiritual leaders of your home. If your children understand the gospel and they've given their life to Christ and uh, they understand that communion is just a symbol that reminds us of that, then by all means they can join in. The Bible tells us we shouldn't enter communion flippantly or casually, but that we should reflect and, and wonder. And we've gone through 20 minutes plus of reflecting and wondering on that. But I just want to give you one more time of silence just to kind of center yourself and, and be preparing your hearts for taking this time of communion with God. So please do that. As we now move into the time of communion, know that the packet has both the elements in it, both the bread as well as the cup. And so you peel the first part and you can get the bread part. And we'll do this together as a corporate body. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then also the same way he took the cup. And after supper he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus the only hope we have for transformation, 
the only hope we have for true life that lasts beyond this world that we live in now and will take us to eternity. Help us to grow in these things more. Help us to have them sink deeply into our soul. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please stand as we worship.